News Radio 610 WTVN. For the defense, the only live legal show of its kind in Columbus. The Coffle Law Firm, one of Ohio's leading criminal defense firms. Your host of For the Defense, Columbus Attorney Brad Coffle. If there's one thing America has learned since Parkland, there's brutal authority of grief. The Parkland students who represent the students of America, the students of Facebook, the students of Snapchat, of a life lived on camera, reality TV and its narcissism, cable news, and its mistrust of politicians. Adults have adopted and we've adapted to cell phones, haven't we, and social media, but these kids, they were born in it. And perhaps you're seeing this generation up front and personal for the first time, but I've been witnessing a change in adolescent behavior in my law firm conference room for the past 25 years, since 1993, 94. Um, I don't think this is a movement, nor is it a revolt against adults or the reluctance to grow up. I think it's more of an evolution. The, the Parkland teens, they, they, they've certainly started a movement, the Never Again movement, and they're everywhere on TV and the Internet. Their rage their poise, their, their showmanship, and their grit, as well as their entitlement and their resentment. You, you can't get around the entitlement piece, and that's what I think the older generations get hung up on. But we have been failing to protect our kids, and these kids, they're now learning how to protect themselves, but not with guns. While we, the adults, we're, we're building another neutered layer of democratic national debate on gun control, the Parkland kids are stealing the schematics. The, the kids have managed to break the loop in our circular conversation over gun violence, and they, they have survived slaughter. They have formed a movement. But this is just the beginning, folks. As a, a personal witness and a professional witness, as a defense attorney that has represented thousands of, of teenagers since the, the 90s, the teens of the 90s, the teens of the 2000s, and now this generation of teen. This one is different. It is evolving from the teens of the past two decades to now, I suggest that it has reached a tipping point. We have had a lot of, uh, what do you we'd say, hand-wringing about this up-and-coming generation, the millennial there's been much moralizing about their prolonged adolescence and those that have delayed marriage and delayed childbirth. Kids stand on their parents' health insurance well into their 20s. They're soft. They're snowflakes. They need safe spaces and participation trophies. I, I get all that. I'm a father of four. Uh, four teens. But this is a, a result. What we're seeing with Parkland is a, is a result of a positive shift. A positive shift of a recognition of the the arbitrariness of, of 18, being age 18, that they're slow to grow up. Well, they are slowing their winding up process of adolescence and turning into adults, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But for now, for the first time since Vietnam, these teens have been forced to think like citizens and adults. We're watching it happen right now. They're grabbing microphones from professional pundits. They're, they've written haunting op-eds. They've delivered speeches that have gone viral. They've instigated rallies. They've prompted nationwide walkouts by students and teachers, including one last week at Upperington High School. Now they're planning. They're not reacting. Now they're planning. From their parents' basements and coffee houses, a massive demonstration to take place in Washington, D.C. next month. The March for Our Lives. 
It is a sophisticated website. Check it out. It's got a mission statement. It has merch for sale. It is inspiring satellite protests, not just across the U.S., but across the globe. Check it out. It's happening. And donation to the March's GoFundMe campaign, which, again, is tied to this generation, GoFundMe. We didn't grow up with GoFundMe pages, but these kids are. The GoFundMe campaign for this movement has been on the rise since the effort was, effort was launched just a few days ago. As of Friday, their donations are about $2.3 million. These kids are not bound by uh, anything. Uh, they, they, they're, they're bound not only by common laws, but, but this, this face-to-face connection. All, anywhere over the world and, and the country, they can connect face-to-face. They've been organizing for years how to do this. They didn't know it as they racked up likes on social media. They know better than anyone what works and what doesn't on the internet. Think about that. What riles people up? What draws them in? What prompts them to like? What prompts someone to share? These kids know how to do it better than anyone on Madison Avenue. The online generation. We now have a perfect test case for the power of the online engine that thrums through every aspect of society today. And this is an online democracy at the most grassroots, granular level with citizens that aren't even old enough to vote. We're talking about these kids today, the Snapchat and Instagram kids. Uh, We're going to talk about the ideology of white teen mass shooters. We're going to talk about the disconnected kid. And also, if we've got time, the horrible idea of stigmatizing mental illness. Welcome to the show. I'm attorney Brad Koffel. It's 1112-610-WTVN. I'm a criminal defense attorney. I've been for about 25 years. And my law firm, the Koffel Law Firm, is in the Watermark Island building off 670 and Grandview Avenue. And we have six criminal defense lawyers. We're in the courts of Franklin County and many other counties every day of the week. And basically, we're moms and dads, just like you. We represent moms and dads and their kids who get in trouble with the law. And this past week, as an example... Our firm, we are in eight different counties representing moms and dads and teens charged with everything from drunk driving to high school sexting cases and drug charges, sex offenses, and, yes, detention hearings in juvenile court involving kids charged with inducing panic and causing schools to shut down. Uh, we can talk, we're going to talk a little bit about that process. Um, what happens with one of these kids that puts something out on social media? It causes a, a lockdown or an evacuation. Well, number one, it's a felony. Number two, it's just it's almost an automatic expulsion. But uh, I take what we learn on Mondays and Fridays and put together this show on Sundays to hopefully educate and learn from the mistakes of others. And sometimes we get political on the show. I'm a bit more libertarian than Republican or Democrat. But we do. We'll touch on some politics here and there. If you can't catch the whole show today, we always put it up on the law firm's website, Koffel Law Firm's website every Monday, and that's KoffelLaw.com, K-O-F-F-E-L-L-A-W.com. Coming up, we're going to talk about this online teen, what we need to know uh, about this generation that's currently in middle school and high school. And in the studio with me is Columbus psychologist David, uh, Dr. David Lowenstein and fellow attorney conservative pundit Eric Willison. So after the break, a lot of layers to this conversation. What can be done right now? How soon is now? It's here. 
Brad Koffel for the defense. Welcome back. Brad Koffel for the defense, 610 WTBN. It's 1119. In the studio with me is Columbus psychologist Dr. David Lonstein and attorney Eric Willison. We're talking about the, are we on a cultural touchstone um, here in America, uh, much like Columbine was um, in the late 90s? Uh, is this another cultural touchstone for um, guns and school safety and mass shootings? And my premise at the beginning of the show was that this generation, th- these kids are different. I'm not talking about the millennials as a whole. I'm talking about the kids that, are, that were born into, the, born into um, online. We, as uh, adults, uh, kind of adopted it um, and adapted to it, but these kids have born into it, and they've not known anything different. And there are a lot of negatives tied, tied to it. I think there's a mental health crisis that is, that is here, not looming. It's really here with kids having such connectivity to their phones um, and, the, and they're so highly um, susceptible to influences. But I think there's a flip side to that, and that is now in the, in the habit of democracy. These kids aren't old enough to vote, but they are forming a, a, a formidable um, legion of, of teens across America. And I think it has taken something along the lines of what happened in Vietnam, where Vietnam was something that happened you know, behind you know, another part of the world. But it, it took really the images um, of, of that nine-year-old girl running in terror naked after a napalm attack or the South Vietnamese general shooting a suspected spy from North Korea in the head and then our boys' bodies coming back in bags. Um, and, and then the, the, the whole conversation turned and it started with the teens. And I think we are here now, another confluence of real live war with weapons of war involving teens, and it's and it is happening live, and it's own, it's no longer undeniable. Doctor Do- David Lonstein, what do you say? You know, I, I throughout this whole experience, I mean, one of the things that I thought about was when I went to school. The last thing I thought about or worried about was whether somebody was going to come in with a gun and shoot people. I think we were more worried about doing our nuclear bomb drills underneath the desk. Right you know, and, or fire drills, but now we've got kids who are in in, in middle school and in, in high school who are wondering whether that kid on the other end of their cell phone or the other end of the Snapchat message or social media program who's saying that they hate school or they hate this or they don't like that or it's subject to really an interpretation. Depressed. Is what what are they supposed to do about this? Yeah. I mean, you know, how do they know what's right and wrong and things like that? And then to experience what they went through, both in Florida or any place else that this has happened, and for all of us to be watching this and wondering, what do we do to protect our children? I mean, and uh, you know, I, I was brought to tears by one father who said during this whole crisis that he wasn't sure if he said to his daughter that he loved her before she left for school. Oh, I know. It's like. Wow, I, I just just I, it starts to cry when you think. I tell you, um, and I've and and people have asked me. My my sign off at the end of my show is always hug your kids. And a few people have asked me, why do you say that? And I said because there will come a point in time where you you're not going to have the opportunity to hug them again. Yep. You don't want to live th- thinking I didn't have a chance. One final hug, one final goodbye. I just I say I try to hug my kids all the time. Tell them I love them. But at the end of the show, it's just like look, hug your kids. Uh, because you just don't know when 
it happens. To something like this. To you or, or, or them anybody. or anybody. Absolutely. And I think we, we need to be aware that these kids are going through a lot more things than we went and through. And hugging, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be ceremonial. I mean, right. it can just be sometimes. Absolutely. It's just a, a, a touch. Bro- uh, the brood, yes. <laughs> the brooding 15, 16 year old teen boy. Uh, who acts like he doesn't need mom or dad? He, acts, he doesn't right. acts like he doesn't want to talk. He wants touched. Absolutely. He wants he wants some, someone to sit next to him. He, he may not be used to being touched, and that's why we're going to need to break that cycle. And I think that those are the kids that we need to reach really reach out to and see how they're doing. We all need to reach out to our son and daughters at home and find out how they're doing, how they're dealing with this, because they are aware of what's going on, whether we want to believe it or not. They're more aware than probably we are. They know what's going on in their school system. They know the kids that are probably experiencing difficulties. I've got kids I see every week who are depressed and anxious and worried and they don't know who to talk with so what they do is they talk on social media they're not talking with a live person in their house upstairs at the kitchen table or in the living room and that is a form of therapy isn't it and unfortunately it is a form of therapy but it may not be with the professional people that we need to be in contact with it's 11 24 sunday morning you're listening to for the defense on 610 wtvn um, I am, uh, who was just talking was Dr. David Lowenstein. David, how long have you been a psychologist in Columbus? 35 years. 35 now. years. A lot of families, a lot of kids. You've seen well, a lot of change. Absolutely. Attorney Eric Wilson, um, what are your thoughts on um, the ideology of the, and I'll just, the, the, the white male high school shooter type of guy? I mean, are we talking about an ideology? Uh, are we talking, do you think it's a mental illness? Is it uh, both or unknown? What do you think? Well, first I would take exception with the whole idea of whether someone matters that they're a white male. I'm, I'm bringing that because that is the hyper-focus of what we're talking about. If you look back at the school mass shootings, that is that is exactly who we're talking about. Okay, well, I didn't know that uh, a guy named Cruz is necessarily white. I would think he would be Latino. Well, my, my point... My point is, Eric, that we're, when we think of the white, the school shooter syndrome, we tend to be talking about the disconnected suburban white kid who's in the basement playing video games. Um, and so that's my point. Okay. Um, I think that you know, my thoughts on this basically would be more of a question uh, in that, uh, and maybe uh, Dr. Lowenstein can speak to this too, that everybody puts out a certain amount of dark material when you're 14, 15, 16 you know, you're going to go through phases where you're doing this. And, you know, in this see something, say something culture, I mean, obviously there's some efficacy to people when they see something like that reporting it. But then if it's normal to do this, where are parents or teachers or friends of these high school students to draw the line or should they be drawing that line? Well, let me ask you this. I mean, David, let me ask you this. Dr. Lowenstein, um, we hear parents here through the grapevine or through from their kids. Hey, this kid, he's a freshman or sophomore in high school. He's vaping. His parents don't know. He's drinking. His parents don't know. Um, do, there's, a, there's a lack of communication between families when they hear through the whisper. I mean, do we you know, break I, that wall? I was just going to say, I remember, you know, Hillary Clinton's with the takes a village kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I think that in today's society, I think we need to be 
very aware of what's going on with our kids and what's going on with their friends. And I think that if we have some concerns as a parent, we need to voice those concerns. If we're concerned about the kid next door or the kid down the block or the kids that our kids are hanging out with in, in school, then let's do something about that. Let's talk with the guidance counselor. Let's get information. Let's be safe more than sorry. I think that's where we are nowadays. How do you do that? I think what you do is you find out, get information. I'd want to know as a parent. I want. I would hope that other parents would want to know. And if a parent turns off about it, you've done your part of it. I think that, you know, letting your kids know that we're going to provide them a safe environment. And if that means that we need to let parents know that their children or child is having difficulty, let's not deny that it's a problem. Let's talk about it. A lot of the gun violence in America is suicide. Um, and suicide prevention has been a big uh, focal point of middle schools right now. Uh, and, and there's been a spike in suicide since the, I think it, it kind of coincides with the, the, the cell phone the, um, and, and the iPad uh, and the ability to isolate. Um, but uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that, Dr. Lowenstein? Well, I mean, I, the cell phone's been both a good and a bad thing for all of us. I mean, it keeps us connected, but then it keeps us too connected. And we've got a lot of teenagers, as well as a lot of adults, but a lot of teenagers who are isolating themselves in the basements or the back room or their bedroom and with the door closed, kind of isolating and feeling depressed and being cyber bullied maybe by other kids or being called things. And we're just so not aware of what's going on. And once it, it hits the cyberspace, it seems to just almost fan the flame. And these kids are experiencing some difficulties. I think it's really important, and I know I get yelled at when I say this by many adults and many children but and adolescents, but I think it's important for us as parents to be aware of what our kids are doing online. We need to check their cell phones. We need to talk with them about what's going on. And if we have some concerns, don't brush it off. Talk with them about it. You know, everybody says that's an invasion and things like that. You know, when we, we worry about who our kids hang out if with. They have their phone all the time, though, Doug. I mean, how do you, how do you get it? You, you take it. You say, give me the friggin' phone. But if I they mean, know you you're know, monitoring, they can delete, clean things up. Right. They may be able to do some of those things, and you're going to miss some of that. But maybe you don't give them enough warning to that you're going to take it. So, you know, just grab the phone. I mean, talk about you want to see it. Uh, after the break, we're going to continue this conversation about disconnected teens and warning signs. Not that they're necessarily going to become a school mass shooter, but warning signs uh, for parents and others to pay attention to. Brad Koffel, 610 WTVN, for the defense. I'm Scott. News Radio 610 WTVN, for the defense. The only live legal show of its kind in Columbus. The Koffel Law Firm, one of Ohio's leading criminal defense firms. Your host of For the Defense, Columbus attorney Brad Koffel. As I said at the top of the show, there is one thing that you can say that America's learned since Parkland shooting is there is brutal authority of grief, just absolutely brutal authority. And the students who survived that massacre, the students of Facebook and students of Snapchat, they've lived a life on camera, reality TV and its narcissism, cable news, the mistrust of politicians and this whole online community that adults we've adopted and adapted to, but these kids were born in it. And um, I've watched kids for the last 25 years come in our conference room at the Coffle Law Firm, and I've watched this change. And Dr. David Lowenstein, who is in the studio with me, counsels families and kids when there's dysfunction or discord, uh, warning signs, and we're going to talk about that. 
but uh, you know the the premise uh, that I mentioned at the beginning of the show is that I think this one is different. I think that uh, um, this is an ability to rally instantly online, raise money instantly online, and as of Friday evening, the donate the donations for the March for Our Lives uh, event that's happening in Washington D.C. next month is up to a little over two million dollars. But this generation. Uh, has been organizing for this moment, and they didn't even know it. We didn't know it for years as they racked up likes on their social media apps. They know what riles people up. They know what draws them in. They know what prompts them to like, what, what get people to like and to share. And so this generation is a perfect test case, and this thing is a perfect test issue for this online engine and society today that there's an online democracy and it's with students who aren't even old enough to vote. Think about that. Uh, but today we are talking about the kids. And um, Dr. Lowenstein, also in the studio, is uh, attorney Eric Willison. Um, so, Dr. Lowenstein, I was in court this past week on a seventh grade boy who allegedly um, put together a photo of and, and some words that were deemed threatening by some other kids and it got turned into the superintendent. He got uh, arrested, taken to a detention center, uh, held overnight, actually held for a couple nights through some detention hearings. Um, and I go in to meet him uh, back in a holding cell. He's 13, he's seventh grade. Little kid. Just a little kid. Um, and we talk about... Where were the parents? I've talked to these parents for hours. They were home. They're plugged in. They're paying attention. What are parents missing? You know, these kids are so um, intelligent with their cell phones and the Internet and social media that I think what we're missing as parents is how ignorant we are as adults about some of these things. These kids are, you know, get angry at something and, and they use their adolescent mind to be able to voice their anger and sometimes they goes overboard and they don't realize how overboard they go on. Maybe this 13-year-old kid that you talked about was an example of somebody, even though the parents were aware that he was experiencing some difficulties, they never expect him to go that far, but he went that far and he scared enough people that they did something about it and whether he would have done something or not is here say right now because nothing happened which was good but but I we look back you know you, you, you take a you turn around you look back um, and extrapolate his, the last six months of his life and there there's nothing I mean you don't see any warning signs no and I mean we packed a courtroom um, even with the, the, his youth minister they, yeah, no one said, I, they, they said I've never saw anything like this they never saw kid. anything like this, but this kid got angry about something and decided to take his anger to is another that what it level. Is? Eric, it seems like it. Eric, do you think we're talking about anger, anger issues in teens? Well, it, it makes me wonder because, um, you know, we talk about the cell phones and how much easier it is for the, these kids to communicate and voice these things. But, you know, let's remove the, the cell phones and go back to the 1970s. I mean, didn't we get together with our friends at the, you know, in the parking lot behind the gas station or whatever and talk about the same, same girls, the same this, the same that, the same ideas? It's just that we weren't typing it in with our thumbs into a, a cell phone where there's now a record of it. I think you say more and do more and express more when you're remote. Absolutely. That is true. 
Yeah. And you have more people listening to you mm -hmm. because, the, you know, maybe there was a couple of kids behind the gas station or at the malt shop. But these kids have two or three hundred kids that are listening to them now. Uh, or it can be the case, yes. Ten, you know. And, and, and by the way, the, the crime is inducing panic. And let me let me break this statute down for you. Um, if your kid, if your if your son or daughter initiates something that causes evacuation of the public school, that is a second degree felony, and you're going, they're going to be detained. They're going to take and be taken to juvenile detention center. Uh, you're going to have a, 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 a detention hearing even before charges are filed because the investigation may still be going on. You're going to have a detention hearing. At the detention hearing, as with one I did this uh, just several days ago. The, the, the middle school principal shows up with a 10-day out-of-school suspension letter with a notice that they're recommending expulsion. And then the lawyer, we have to explain to the family, by the way, there's an extremely high probability your son's going to be expelled. Um, and then you still have to deal with a felony in, in court. Uh, and the juvenile court gets their hands into the kids, and really they do. This 13-year-old had a lethality um, assessment done on him. His parents had no choice in that. They had no voice in that. He was subjected to, not subjected to, but uh, probably the wrong choi word choice, but a lethality. I don't even know what that is. I couldn't even explain that to the parents what a lethality. Is, is there some sort of model, um, Dr. Lowenstein, that is a good predictor on whether or not a kid is lethal? To your knowledge? Uh, no, not at 13. <laughs> so, or every kid is lethal. But the courts are struggling with what do we do with these kids? Are they real? or perceived threats or non-threats. I think we've also now, as a result of things happening, we've become even more hyper-vigilant about this, and anybody who does something is going to get automatically hauled in. Yeah, it's 11.41 a.m. You're listening to 610 WTVN. Um, if you're just joining us in the studio with me is Dr. David Lowenstein and attorney Eric Willison. I'm Brad Koffel with the Koffel Law Firm. Um, Eric, what's your what would your advice be to parents as a lawyer uh, if um, right now in these times, because as Dr. Lonstein just mentioned, anything that the, a kid could put up something that is that we could look at and go, that's really not a threat, but it gets taken into a different context, and now it becomes a threat in the hands of the school. Well, first of all, and we were talking about this during the break, that uh, there are uh, online apps that allow you to control your uh, daughter's or your son's smart devices. If they're on your account and they're the, not the account holder, you can shut these things down. You can say from 5 a.m. Monday until 5 p.m. Friday, it does, the thing just doesn't work. All it does is it works like a phone. Yeah, let me let me explain that. So Netgear has a, a router, okay? It's called a, a Netgear Parental Control Router. It's new. It's a great router device. It's aimed to be set up by parents so the parents don't have to ask their teen to set the daggone thing up. Um, it's a hassle-free setup, and... Um, uh, it, it's a powerful router, and, and it will control your home network using voice commands if, if, if you want to use voice commands. Um, but it has a uh, smart parental controls that, that limit daily Internet time, types of websites and apps, uh, and it creates filters. And um, it control, it can, you can pro pause the, the, the Wi-Fi in the house. Uh, for bedtimes. But we mustn't be trapped in the 90s thinking that these kids are only, you know, getting on over their computers. Yeah, no, so there's another their one. phones, yep, there's you can an, also do it through Verizon. Yeah, there's another called uh, Watchover. Uh, it's just for uh, uh, iOS, the Apple. And it's a, you download it, and then you can set up uh, daily monitoring uh, all activity on your kids' devices 
And believe it or not, this thing takes screenshots every minute and stores them for 48 hours. So you can, when you're laying in bed instead of watching Facebook, you can flip through all their screenshots and see what they're doing on their phone. And one place Dr. Lowenstein and I agree is that you know this is not an invasion of privacy. To say that this is an invasion of your kid's privacy to do this, that's an abdication of your parental responsibility. Absolutely. True, yeah. A watch over is four ninety nine. It's an app. You can get it on the uh, Apple App Store. Watch over four ninety nine. Um, but uh, we were. Um, we were talking about uh, suicide prevention, which is also something that seems to coincide with these these kids um, and the spike in, on suicide. And I think we do need to finish up the show after the break talking about what do parents need to be paying attention to? Is that brooding teen risk to himself or her herself? Brad Koffel for the defense, 610WTVM. Attorney Brad Koffel on 610 WTV in. You are listening to For the Defense. Every Sunday at 11 a.m. I get a live mic to chat up criminal law and what impacts families and homes. And in the studio live with me today is Dr. David Lowenstein and attorney Eric Willison. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about uh, signs of what I call the brooding teen. I don't even know if that if that's a real phrase, Dr. Lowenstein. You're kind of giving me a schmirk. But uh, what you know, it's easy, I guess, after a, 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 an incident, um, whether it's a, a suicide or a homicide or uh, along those lines, that people can look back and go, well, look at these signs, look at these signs. What are we talking about here? You know, I mean, there's different signs for different things. And so, as, as we were talking during the break, that, you know, some kids who display the same symptoms, nothing happens to. And some kids who display these symptoms, they go off, you know, out of the blue. But I think, you know, hopefully every parent knows their adolescent son or daughter or the young child enough to know that when they're experiencing some difficulties, that they are. And the only way to be able to do that, as I advise every parent to do, is to spend some time up in their bedroom you know, with the door open, talking about your with your son or daughter about what's going on in their life. If they're starting to withdraw, if they're really starting to feel like everything's going wrong, the grades are dropping, life is really changing, they're no longer as active in things, they're experiencing some difficulties. Doesn't mean they're, they're a danger, but they're experiencing some difficulties. That's the time that a parent needs to go in and be a, become a parent. What, do these, really, what does a parent say to that kid where you're, you're feeling just horrible for your, your son or daughter because they're, maybe they're alienated or humiliated or just become isolated. I think that you go in there talking about what I can do to help. It's like, what's going on and what can we do? And they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. That's absolutely true. And you know what? They're going to not want to talk about it for as long as you sit in that living room or as long as you sit in that bedroom. But you know what? Don't advocate, don't advocate that responsibility. Because they don't want to talk about it, it means that it's a difficult thing to talk about. It means to be. If they have nothing to talk about, then there'll be nothing to talk about. But these kids do have something to talk about. They may not be used to you being in their bedroom asking them the questions. So you're going to have to spend more time in that bedroom asking questions where they're going to start feeling a little bit better about it. And spend some time with it. Not only talking about how they're feeling, but who they are and what they're going through. What's going on with them. Find out what's happening with your son or daughter so that you know what you need to do as a parent to be able to help them. When they're experiencing difficulties with math, we get math tutors. When they're experiencing difficulties with sports, we get trainers for them. Why aren't we getting counselors for some of our kids who are experiencing some of the difficulties of depression? We don't want to just medicate them. We want to get them some help. I found uh, personally, and I encourage other parents who are, uh, are, are parents of 
teens who are going through the juvenile court system, which just compounds the yep. angst they're feeling because now they got to go to court and it's a horrifying experience for a 13, 14, 15 year old. I encourage parents, if you can get your kid out for a walk with the dog, yep. with the, to have a place to walk to, like let's walk up here to the coffee shop, we'll get you some hot chocolate, or hey, let's go pick up the food together. Get your, your son or daughter in, in the car. In the car, and, and they'll open up. Eventually they will. They may not be used to it in the beginning, but you know what? If they've got something to tell you, they're going to tell you eventually. And if they're sad and depressed, they're going to let you know in different kinds of ways. And parents are really good at being able to pick those things up. You know what you feel like when you're sad and depressed. So find out how Johnny and Sally are doing with my, it. My older sister told the story that uh, she used to always volunteer to be the, the parent that drove the kids to the movie or drove the kids to the party or whatever. She said, because these 14, 15, and 16-year-olds completely forget that you're there. Yeah. And they just start talking, you know, and she just would listen. And before uh, 15 minutes of that car ride was over, she knew who had the pot, who had the booze, <laughs> who had this, who had that. What did you call that last week, Eric? <laughs> Surveillance fatigue? Fatigue? Yeah, well, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, you know... These days, you know, even though you know you're being monitored, you get surveillance fatigue and you slip up. Right. And so they do. They yeah, do. They, they they just have. They don't have that long-term planning awareness that, gee, if I, if I you know, I, I'm I'm going to tell Rachel my secret here, and you know, oh, I forgot the mom was there. You know, <laughs> we, uh, we we've kind of talked about how unique this particular cohort of teen is. They've grown up. They've been born in, into social media online. They're moving up. They're growing up a lot faster. Um, but uh, that the, the parental awareness, um, how do we as parents tease out that this is a problem versus he's, he or she's just, this is going, this is just a phase? You know, every kid goes through phases. Every adolescent goes through their depressive times, breaking up with girlfriends or boyfriends or losing friends and things like that, not doing good on the test or whatever. And those are normal things that we've all experienced. I think that you hopefully know your son or daughter enough that you know that they're going through even worse things. I, I, have, I have spent a lot of time out west at residential treatment centers for adolescents and um, experiential-based wilderness programs. And I'm a firm believer in the, in the wilderness-based therapy programs. Um, but one thing that I've learned from the pros out there is um, don't project parents tend to project. Can you explain what that what they mean by that? Yeah, I mean, because you've gone through something, it's like, you know, honey, you'll get through it kind of stuff. You know, we all broken up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend and things like that. You know, it's devastating for our son or daughter and realize that it's devastating. Realize that they're going through difficulties. And your own experiences may have helped you, but you know what? That doesn't mean they're going to help Johnny or Sally. So, you know, listen to where they are, not you telling them where they need to be. Um, I saw some Great advice last week from a family friend who said when he or she's done with this traumatic event, whether it's you know loss of a friend group or not making a sports team or something like that, this great advice says when they're done with it, you're done with it. Yep. All right. Don't hover on it. Don't. I, yeah. Don't spend eternity on it. Right. The approach I take is um, I try to give analogies in, of something that my son or my daughter already likes and understands 
And is it, I don't go back and say, well, when I had this 1973 Chevy, no, no, no. <laughs> right. I talk about, you know, he's interested in computer programming and, 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 and building, building uh, uh, computers and all that. So I say, well, you know, if you were going to build a, a computer, but they wouldn't let you have the motherboard, yeah, I try to bring it into something that they're interested in and, let, and then use my reasoning by those analogies, not analogies that I grew up with or that my grandfather grew so, up with. So um, tread lightly. We're there to listen. Yeah, tread lightly, be non-judgmental, be present, don't abdicate your parental role. I think we've we've yep. gotten that out of the show. Yep. Uh, next week, uh, next week's show here in our final minute. Uh, next week's show, we are going to talk down. Uh, we're going to double down rather on school security and hardening school security. And we talked about it last Sunday. I'm working on two very important guests for next Sunday's show. I don't want to spoil it, but I'm uh, one of them. Um, other than you, Eric, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, an invitation is out to a Navy SEAL uh, to join me next Sunday to talk about school security, uh, 12 years with DevGrew, which is we now we think of as SEAL Team 6. And I'm close to getting a superintendent of one of our large school districts to come on and talk about um, hardening school security. So uh, I think that's an awesome conversation. And then in two weeks... Eric and I are going to probably lock horns and, and talk about uh, gun control, uh, the NRA, uh, and, and where that conversation needs to go. And we may even take calls on that show in two weeks. Dr. Lowenstein, thank you for coming back in. Thank you. Eric, see you next Sunday. You're listening to 610 WTVN for the defense. Attorney Brad Koffel, and yes, hug your kids. They need it. Struck me.